people wanted every student to have every option all the time. And that's how our system currently operates and, and is designed. And as a result, I think we're missing an opportunity to better educate a group of students for whom college is not their preferred option. College is not um, their preferred destination, but they're still in a program that gives them the opportunity should they want to go to college. Welcome to Education on the Rocks. I'm your host, John Bullock, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, George Hegarty. And this is the Crickets edition of Education on the Rocks. George, how are you doing this morning? I am doing pretty well. How about you up there? I'm doing well. Uh, it's nice to be recording, like, at a regular hour. You know, sometimes we do these, like, bright and early before EPL games and sometimes late at night. So, like, this is a midday midday recording session. It's the brunch edition. That's right. It is the brunch edition. So how, how are things down in, uh, down in California this week? You know, things are good. Um, you, if you hear my voice is a little bit off, I, um, do not have anything, um, more virulent than a sinus infection from, um, you know, being an, being an idiot and going out in the high 40, it was in the high forties and windy and I went for a swim. Uh, and so I caught a little bit of an ear infection that then moved into my sinuses. So, uh, beyond that though, I'm doing pretty well. Things are we're going back to campus this week uh, after starting the first four weeks of the quarter uh, remotely. And uh, I can tell you that the students with whom I'm working, I'm excited as a student, but then the students with whom I'm working are uh, really ready to get back at it. Well, that's great. I think one key lesson there is exercise will make you sick. I think that's what I took out of that. And, <laughs> and second, you're excited to be back in person with students. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, things are, uh, things are good. How about you up there? It's good. We are uh, we are reaching the crest of the Omicron uh, variant, so we're seeing uh, lots and lots of absences from staff and students. So we're trying to weather the storm, keep the doors open right now. Yeah, that's good. It seems like if if we can make it to spring break, um, I think that at least on the west western part of the United States, I think we should be um, in a better place come April. Yeah, that's I'm I'm hoping so. I think it's wearing people out just the day to day wondering. Can we? Do we have enough people to stay open? Are there going to be enough students to teach? Uh, it's it's a lot, and it's wearing on people. That's for sure. Yeah, it, it is like that. Um, without the anticipation of the fun part, it is like a p- potential uh, perpetual snow day. Yes, <laughs> With, without the fun snow part. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, this is education on the rocks, and so uh, what are you drinking today? Well, today, because of the sinus infection, I'm going uh, with a little hot toddy, um, which for me, the homebrew is throat coat, uh, herbal tea uh, with, a, uh, with a shot of Jameson and a little bit of honey and lemon. Wow. So, wow. The, the hot toddy with Jameson. I like it. I think that's very 19th century. <laughs> I can, I can pic- picture you with, uh, you know, with, a, with a fancy uh, like antique tea glass uh, on a you know, on a little plate, on a saucer. Yeah, I've got, actually, I'm, I have, uh, and this goes back to when we were working together one year when uh, a group of us did the pole pedal paddle together, I'm drinking out of our mug. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, it's a big ceramic mug that makes, uh, reminds me of uh, good times. 
Yeah, we there was like corporate championship or something like that. that yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I think we lost to the firefighters, uh, but I, I kind of played that off to the fact that they have more time to work out than we did. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm drinking uh, a Broken Top Mountain Whiskey today from uh, Sisters, Oregon. It's from the huh. Spirit of the Cascades. It's a straight bourbon whiskey. Um, very drinkable. Um, and so for folks that don't know, Broken Top lies in the eastern segment of Oregon's Cascade Range, known as the High Cascades. And there's an extinct stratovolcano and part of the Pacific uh, Cascade Volcanic Arc. So Broken Top is known for its distinct jagged silhouette resulting from uh, glacial erosion. So this whiskey um, is a mashup of corn and rye and barley, and uh, it's aged in charred American oak barrels. So it's, it's got just a great sweet flavor. And so uh, it was actually gifted to me by my friend Mark. And uh, so Mark, thanks for the Broken Top Mountain Whiskey. It made the pod. Uh, and uh, Mark, we, my bottle hasn't made it down here yet. So uh. yeah, so, so, so ship it that way, right? <laughs> Well, I'm excited for today's, today's podcast. We're going to talk about, uh, again, about COVID. I don't know if we can talk about education without COVID, but we're going to take a little bit of a different approach and talk about what does it mean for uh, colleges, college enrollment, college-going students. So uh, we're going to ask you to take a pause, take a sip. We'll be, right after the, we'll be right back after the sponsor's break, and we're going to talk about the Crickets edition of Education on the Rocks. On August 6, 1991, the first website was created on the World Wide Web. Now, in 2022, there are billions of websites online. And did you know that 55% of small businesses still don't even have a website? Well, at Mooney Marketing, they lift your business to the next level by designing your business an affordable, mobile-friendly website with professional business photography, video production, SEO, design concepts, and color schemes. With 2021 behind us and the pandemic still hanging around, customers and consumers more than ever are searching for products and companies online. This Redmond-based marketing firm also offers logo design, advertising, branding, storytelling, and social media marketing services. For more information on Mooney Marketing, check out their website at mooney-marketing.com or give them a call at 541-280-7412. That's Mooney Marketing at mooney-marketing.com. Welcome back to Education on the Rocks. This is the Crickets edition. So while even as it shifts from being a pandemic to an endemic, at least we hope, we're still living with COVID and schools have to start thinking about the long-term effects of the virus on its present and future students. Last week, Stephanie Saul in a New York, New York Times article reported that college enrollment has dropped 6.6% since the start of the pandemic. That means that well over a million high school graduates who would otherwise have gone to college before the pandemic are doing, well, something else. Today, we dive into the numbers to talk about what no one's really mentioning about the long-term effects of declining college enrollment and think about what the something else that students are doing is, is as well. As we ask the question, how does the American school system respond when college is no longer the primary goal of K-12 education? And thus far, we're hearing crickets from the experts. So George, what does this mean for us? I mean, how, how significant is 6%? I mean, to put it in perspective, what would it mean if uh, a high school graduation rate declined over 6% for two years. Yeah, you know, that was, that's a question that I think that you can probably answer um, more effectively than I can. But, I, you know, I, I think that I, I imagine if I were on a, on a high school staff and the principal uh, came in uh, in our fall meetings and said that, you know, we're off, our graduation rate is down, 
um, that that would be kind of a, um, a situation where all hands would be called on deck and, and there'd be a lot of reflection um, from the teaching staff as to what we were doing or, or not doing for our students. So you tell me, what, what kind of questions would you have to answer if, if uh, your school's students were graduating down 6%? Well, I think it's, it would be uh, some painful uh, recognition of failure, to be honest with you. I mean, fortunately for the, the school uh, that uh, I co-founded and run and that you've, you've been a part of, uh, we have a, an exceedingly high graduation rate. In fact, most recently, it was 98% of our students graduated. Hey, congratulations. That's, that's great. Yeah, thank you. But the reality is in the state, it's, it's in the, you know, it's around 80%, low 80s. And um, depending on where you are in the country, uh, that's, that's about par for the course. Um, and so in Oregon, uh, many years ago, a concept was promoted called 40-40-20, which was basically to say that we're going to have 100% of our students graduate, 20% will graduate uh, and have a high school diploma, 40% will graduate and go on to uh, associate's degree or trade degree, and 40% will go on to a bachelor's degree. And when you think about the fact that you're in a state where only 80% of the kids are graduating, um, you're already starting behind. And so if that rate started to decline by 6% here and 6% there, the number of students that would be impacted would be incredible because we know students that don't graduate from high school tend to look differently demographically and socially than the students who do graduate. So you, you would start to see uh, an exacerbated achievement gap, a social gap, and it will play out over and over year after year for every time you drop that many students. And so right now, colleges across the country are wrestling with this as fewer and fewer students are going to college. And we know college graduation rates are not uh, incredibly high either. And so it, it seems like we're on the precipice of a dramatic decline in the number of people earning college degrees. And I'm wondering, what, I mean, what do you think about the ways that impacts not just colleges and universities, but communities and society? Yeah, and I think that's a really good question, and it gets back to, at its core, it kind of gets back to the mission of what our K-12 education system is, and, and I think that at least since I entered the profession and based on my high school experience, my high school experience was a public high school in suburban San Francisco, and it was college preparatory. I mean, some students didn't go to college. For sure, most students, the vast majority of students graduated, but the classes I was sitting in, there was no, there's very little, I should say, um, what I would call um, kind of career preparation in terms of transitioning from high school into some aspect of the workforce. And so what I, what I think is really intriguing about these numbers as I'm reading them is that you have over 6% of students who have been successful, they've been highly successful um, to the to the degree that they would have gone to university in the past. And so I'm wondering, how do we, if this is going to be consistent, and I'm not sure if we're just looking at a dip and then there's going to be a huge bump in, that, in five years. I just can't, I can't read into the future that way. But I'm, re I'm really intrigued by whether or not the school system is going to choose uh, on a huge level, on a massive level, is going to choose to adjust um, to these statistical trends. And, and as I can see, as of right now, it doesn't seem like um, that's the case on a national level. 
Well, I think it's interesting. One of the things we ought to set for our, our listeners is this idea that uh, the undetermined purpose of the high school experience across the country, because it, it depends on your zip code, uh, it depends on your school. But one of the things we know is that ever since Sputnik, there's been a push uh, to prepare students for post-high school study. And that means that many schools, most high schools in the country, have a college preparatory plan. Even though they know not all students are going to college, the, the educational system is built towards college preparatory. Now, there are some schools in some regions that have really high-quality career and technical education programs in the school where students uh, learn trades and, and learn job skills. But the vast majority of the American high school experience is about a college preparatory style program. We see that in policy. We see that in graduation requirements. We see that in testing uh, requirements. And funding as well, because a lot of those programs are external. The, the programs that really do great um, kind of career and technical ed are funded externally um, kind of from the, from the main budget source, right? Yeah. Oftentimes there's either partnerships or there's special grant programs designed for those. Um, and, and one of the things that the other thing that I think, uh, you know, in terms of level, level setting for listeners is there does not exist a massive trade school environment post high school, right? So I hear, I hear all the time people say, well, why don't we prepare kids for trade school? And what I say is show me the trade schools, like, show me where those are uh, and how we can get massive amounts of students in those because they, they don't actually exist. Community colleges are intended to fill some of that purpose, but we've seen community college attendance uh, decline even more rapidly than uh, university attendance. And so w what we're experiencing is this is a couple of things, right? This drop in college enrollment is going to cause us to rethink what do we what do we need to get out of the high school experience? What do we need to provide in that? And then second, but what are, what are the long-term impacts of fewer and fewer students going to college and fewer and fewer people earning college degrees? Yeah, and I think that that's something we can really talk about because I, I look at these numbers and I kind of project them, you know, it's looking at two years, two, you know, two potential college enrollment years. Um, I think we're going to come up on a third. And so it would not surprise me at all if the, these numbers creep toward 10%. Um, and when we when we start to talk about 10%, that is a huge, you know, th that's millions. Yeah, we'll be pushing toward 2 million or over 2 million students who are doing something else. And I don't know, I, I, I know in different regions of the country that, you know, you have these, you have positions that are open to high school grads that, that uh, employers are having a hard time filling them. But part of the, part of the challenge is that the wages that those employers are paying aren't, aren't going to be effectively, they're not effectively going to allow, um, you know, young people to transition to kind of an independent mode of living. And so I think that, you know, from the jobs that people are doing and then who are, who will be pushed out of potential jobs, because as we know, the high school degree and successfully completing high school is one of the hurdles to employment. And so right now we have a, we have a situation where you have hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, millions of students who aren't necessarily in that job force because they're going to college uh, full time. And so they might be working part time. What happens to the students who haven't been successful in the high school experience? It seems to me that they're going to be pushed out of the job market potentially entirely. Yeah, I think they're going to get pushed further and further down the economic ladder. 
I mean, there was an article in the Washington Post last week by John Marcus that uh, explained that there's been a three million person drop in uh, in Americans going to college over the last decade. Three million in a decade, and but that's nearly a million since the start of the pandemic. And Marcus posits that it will likely continue to get worse, even as rival economic nations such as China increase students in university enrollment. And what um, Marcus highlighted is that, you know, there, there are a number of reasons, you know, declining birth rates, we're getting ready to hit a demographic cliff where there's not as many young people, uh, not as many high school graduates. Um, the fact that high school graduates or high school students can no, now go get jobs because the job market is in demand and, and make a, a pretty good wage for a, for an 18, 19 year old student. Um, but moreover, it's a greater skepticism in the need for higher education. But all the data that is that exists out there talks about, and it comes from the National uh, Student Clearinghouse Research Center, it comes from the College Board, um, it comes from uh, University of Michigan's study about the study of higher education, higher and post-secondary education, and all of them talk about how college graduates earn more money over the life of their uh, career, they live longer, they're less likely to, to rely on social services, they're less, less likely to live in poverty, and that people whose formal education ends with high school tend to pay almost half uh, less in taxes than people with a uh, bachelor's degree. So there's this, there's this weird bullia base brewing out there mm -hmm. that I don't know that we're going to be able to get our hands around and it's going to, it's happening right now, but we won't see the effects, the drastic effects maybe for a decade or yeah, maybe less. I don't, yeah. And it doesn't seem that, as a, as a nation right now, we're really contemplating if this is going to be the case, how to kind of, um, how to expand our safety net for folks who will definitely, even, even if you are making $15 an hour or $20 an hour, if you're at a job without healthcare, uh, you're not going to be able to afford healthcare on your own. Um, and so those kind of pieces where on the one hand, you can look at the numbers really quickly and go like, well, there are plenty of jobs. I, I go downtown in my community and there's help wanted signs everywhere. I don't know why these young people aren't working. Uh, I think that there is kind of that trade off that if you are potentially living at home um, and just bringing in, you know, and contributing some of some of your earnings to the household, um, then potentially that job can be effective for you as an 18, 19, 20 year old. But eventually, like you're, like you're saying, is that you aren't going to be able to make ends meet in the way that prior generations have. Right. And so what we're facing then is, you know, this confluence of factors that includes um, things like the gig economy, right, that exists, that, that didn't exist, you know, to the extent when you and I were, were young people, right? I mean, right. the ability to um, drive Uber or DoorDash or to do gigs on Fiverr or, you know, ways that people can make money, but that don't have a benefit structure. They don't have, they don't come with healthcare. They don't come with retirement, but, but there are ways to earn cash and people can do that. But I think as you identified, right, the, the, the social safety net isn't, isn't happening. And, and part of it isn't happening because we're having, we're having debates about the value of higher education in policy. And, you know, this idea that, well, not everybody needs to go to college. Correct. But the 
economy that has been built on the idea that there is a significant percentage of people that do go to college and do get uh, college degrees. And now that we're in a global economy, we will start to see um, other countries in the world uh, expand their college-going populations, and we'll start to be able to uh, acquire jobs that previously went to college graduates in this country. And, and I don't know what the impact of that has economically in the long term, but it doesn't sound good. No, and, and you know, to compound that with um, a lot of studies that are showing the, the jobs that won't exist uh, in, over the next decade because of the expansion of AI into the workplace, the jobs that are being the, the jobs that are being consumed by artificial intelligence uh, effectively or ineffectively being able to replace uh, humans that that um, those jobs aren't those jobs are the jobs we're talking about that non high school graduates or high school graduates who haven't advanced to college those are the jobs that are going to di- be disappeared disappearing a lot of them are in kind of the public service sector mm-hmm. and so you know I I think. And kind of the question that I have for you is like, do you think we're at a tipping point where we have to rethink education in this country? And if so, like, what does it look like? Or if not, what does it mean if we just kind of stay the course where everybody needs to complete nationally four credits of English to graduate from high school? Well, I think we're at a tipping point where education has to change. And we also have to look at the ways in which our education and our economics are tied together. I don't think we have in this country tied education to economic prosperity in the way it has in other countries. Um, and part that's because of the way our social safety net is set up and the way our worker training programs are set up. But we do know that since 2000, the United States has fallen from third to 12th um, in the, among the 38 member nations for the Organizations for Economic Cooperation and Development in the proportion of its population of uh, people ages 25 to 34 with college degrees. So we're now behind Canada, Korea, Russia, and others. And what I think has happened, right, is that we have not embraced the fact that our economic and education systems are, in fact, extricably linked. And so a college education did, in fact, uh, lead to economic and social prosperity. But we have this such this strong sense of individuality in this country that we always are looking for examples where that's not true, where we know somebody who got a college degree and they're struggling with poverty or homelessness or they couldn't get a job. Or we think about somebody who didn't graduate high school but became a millionaire. We, we look for these individual examples rather than the, the whole process. And so what I think has to change educationally is that we have to start thinking about what are the essential skills that our young people need and when do they need them in order to be um, economically viable in the new environment? And does that mean that we should have a 13-year public education system that meets only eight or nine months a year? Or should we reform that so that we're providing students more education earlier on and then using some of the resources to create job training or employment training programs that help students at 16, 17, 18, and 19, 20, right? I mean, we've chunked it up into pre-K, K-12, post-secondary or post-high school. And I'm wondering if we got, we we need to start blurring those lines and saying, what do do our young people need to be economically and socially viable? Yeah. And and that, 
and I think that those are those that's when I think about it, those are the big questions systemically that we need to ask because I think that the experiment and and you referenced Sputnik where you know we're we're coming out that's seventy five years ago uh, virtually um, and so we've had we've had an educational experiment based on that, and I think it's okay for us to kind of at least have a discussion around the idea that I, I, at least the way that I envision our system for the vast majority of our students in the K-12 system is that we've designed it in one way. Um, and that one way is we are going to get you college prepared. And that's rooted in um, Bush era policy. It's an Obama era policy um, that's really affected funding for schools, which, which funding is what determines a lot of the choices that schools are going to make in terms of what their programs look like. Um, and then, and so you have that core program and then for people for whom that doesn't work, which we've seen is, can be a massive number of students. They're doing a light version of that program instead of us asking really challenging questions about like, let's think about what something different would be that students can elect to, to go into. Um, I, and the European model of, you know, after the equivalent of the US 10th grade of testing, um, I'm not positive that that's the route we're going to go because as you kind of said that, you know, the um, individual freedom that is so kind of woven into the fabric of um, the American, you know, the American story is, it doesn't necessarily fit particularly well with that. Uh, but I think like a choice model where students can elect into a program that is a robustly funded, um, a robustly funded um, kind of uh, career preparatory program that looks totally different from a college preparatory program, to me seems like something we at least need to explore at this point. Well, I think one of the struggles we've had historically is people's concern that we're going to determine a young person's life path at age 12 or 14 or 16. And by having them take something less than a college preparatory pathway means that um, options are closed off to them. Mm -hmm. And there's been great hesitancy in the industry to promote anything like that. Oregon had a program called the Certificate of, In Certificate of Initial Mastery and Certificate of Advanced Mastery that um, came into existence, gosh, 25, 30 years ago. And it, it lasted for a while in various iterations, but the idea was that a student needed to demonstrate some, some initial mastery of content in order to advance to uh, other coursework and other um, programmatic elements. And there was incredible pushback on it. And it ultimately got, you know, got killed as, as things do in education. We name it and then we kill it. That's, that's a pod for another day. Yes. Uh, um, how we name and kill these programs. Um, but the idea was really solid. It was, if you can do this and earn a, a SIM, a Certificate of Initial Mastery, that means you're qualified for X. If you can do something and earn a Certificate of, an, of Advanced Mastery, a CAM, um, you can do Y. And uh, it, it was... It was, you know, destroyed both internally and externally because ultimately it categorized students by their uh, academic abilities that they were demonstrating. And people didn't like that. People wanted every student to have every option all the time. 
And that's yes. how our system currently operates and, and is designed. And as a result, I think we're missing an opportunity to better educate a group of students for whom college is not their preferred option. College is not um, their preferred destination, but they're still in a program that gives them the opportunity should they want to go to college. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think something, you know, because we, we, we talk about, you know, high school graduation and that being a hurdle that people get over. And I'm just not, I think one thing we haven't talked about, um, and I don't know how you feel about particularly, so I will go out on a limb on this one, is that um, the high school graduate who has a 2.0, a straight C average, that, that that high school education, I would say, we have not served that student well. Um, because that, that 2.0 isn't, I mean, they can, of course, transition straight into community college, but that 2.0 has not prepared them for post-secondary work um, in the way that the one would hope that uh, a high school degree would. But we also haven't, overwhelmingly, we haven't prepared that student to do anything else either. And so I think it puts an 18-year-old in a place that's really tough, that you are, you're potentially going to go to community college where you'll be remediated and have to work two plus years in order to transition to a university where you're kind of bearing costs. And if not, if you're not exactly, if that community college education is uh, mostly funded, uh, you still, that's two years of your life that you're dedicating to that study, um, to, to that study to earn the associate's degree. And could, could we have better prepared that student um, to transition into kind of a, a place where, where they're comfortable making professional choices at that, whether it's a trade or whatever, at that point in their lives. And, and I really think that we should be in that place. And I think that a lot of our 16 and 17 year olds are in a place that at least, at least in the schools that I've worked, that they, they with counseling um, from professionals can make effective choices for themselves about their future. I think the, the short answer to that is yes, we can and yes, we should. We should create a system and we can create a system, but the, the pressures around having these college preparatory standards that exist in states in their curriculum. I mean, when I think about, when I think about that student you described, right, that, that student that, that graduates high school with a 2.0 GPA, that, that student likely was surviving the experience, right? They, they weren't thriving. Yes. And when I think about that student, what if instead of putting them in a, uh, a senior humanities class where they had to read Beowulf or um, something that, you know, I'm probably being mm -hmm. overly, <laughs> hey. overly uh, I don't know, uh, egregious with my example, but what if we taught that student um, effective reading techniques for the newspaper? What if we taught that, taught that student how to look at three different opinions uh, and form their own? Uh, what, what if we taught that student media literacy and we taught that student how to construct quality uh, emails that they could send and communicate with people? Um, what if we talk, talk to them about how to understand um, an employment contract? Or uh, what if we taught courses in entrepreneurism? And, and what if we got explicit about it? here's how the gig economy works for and against you? You know, there, there's a way to do this, but it means we have to say not every student in every American high school is going to get the same thing. And they currently don't get the same thing, but we live in an environment where we think they actually do. And it's false. And we could be doing better for 
a good number of our students if we were willing to change. Yeah, I agree. And, and to your point about all of those skills, like let's teach them to do it on their phones because that's where they're doing it. Like let's not, you know, let's not contact the local paper and say, hey, can you drop off 25 copies every day? Because that's not where they're accessing media. And so we're going to work with those students to navigate how navigate life, how they will be navigating life instead of kind of in the way that, you know, those of us who still do read print newspaper that like, that's great. And I wish that, you know, for me, it, it's a comfortable space, but for the vast majority of people I know educated or not, uh, who are anywhere from, you know, their mid thirties down, they're accessing the entirety of their content, uh, on their phones. Yeah. It's, it's clear that we've got to, we've got to adjust curriculum and technology to meet those needs as well, right? Yeah, instead of, instead of, and we've talked about this, instead of making those, and I, and I think that that's part of, you know, that's how to make school a place where it makes sense for students to go, where that there is a direct application that you can, if you download an app to do whatever, if you download the New York Times app onto your phone in school that day, that thing is sitting on your phone and so you, that's a clear sense of accomplishment. It's not like you were saying, or a clear sense of like, I can access this thing. It's not as if, um, you know, in kind of going back to the anecdote of the 2.0 student that like school happened to them that day mm-hmm. and they happened to survive. Right, right. Well, I think this is fascinating. We started off talking about, uh, you know, declining college attendance rates and uh, morphed the discussion into what do we need to do for students who aren't going to get there? And uh, I find it fascinating, and hopefully our listeners did too. Uh, folks, as we wrap this up, we want to encourage you to reach out to us. Tell us, what do you think? How should the school system respond to these changes? What, what changes need to happen to ensure, one, more students can access college, but two, students who cannot or do not want to access college have opportunities to be successful economically and socially? We'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Speaks. George, where can they find you? George underscore Hegarty. So hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Tell us your thoughts. Um, while you're at it, uh, feel free to leave us a five-star review on your favorite uh, podcast uh, uh, device. Uh, we, we'd love to hear from you. And you can find us on the internet at educationontherocks.com. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with a segment we like to call After the Ice Melts. <laughs> Welcome back. Well, we've drank our whiskey and we've talked about the education issues of the day, and now it's time to talk about what's next. So here's a segment we'd like to call After the Ice Melts. So George, what do you have next? What are you going to do after the ice melts? So we're recording this on uh, the day of uh, the NFL's, both the AFC and the NFC championship. Uh, But I have, uh, I will be spending the day watching uh, the Pipeline uh, Pro Surf Competition on my TV on an app, on the World Surf League app. And so it's uh, beautiful weather there today. The women uh, the women are surfing Pipeline uh, for the first time. Uh, I'm glad to see that many of them are wearing helmets uh, in the early morning heats. And so I think that that's great because it's one of the most iconic waves. It's the Hawaii 5.0 wave that, you know, from the original the original show, almost every picture of a wave that you're going to see that uh, will make it into the into the kind of the public sector is always pipeline. And it's an incredibly beautiful wave. 
and I would never, ever enter the Pacific Ocean. I love surfing uh, more than anything. It's my favorite thing to do. I would never enter the Pacific Ocean at Pipeline when there are waves because of the treachery and danger that that, um, that, that uh, represents. But I'm going to watch uh, pro surfers do it all day today, probably into the evening. How about you? What do you got going? That's awesome. I was going to ask you whether or not you've ever uh, surfed a pipeline. Um, the answer is hell and no. <laughs> it's good to know. It breaks in about six inches of water over a spiky reef. So wow. literally six inches at times. That's, that's not hyperbole. Wow. Well, my uh, surfing experience is limited to... Uh, you know, old fat guy body surfing, which is basically, yeah. I, I, I thought you were going to go remote control with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just basically lay in the ocean until a wave rolls me over. It's, it's not an impressive sight, but it's what I do. So perfect. Well, okay. Hey, for me, You're like a seal, uh, yes, <laughs> like a seal or, or a, a Norwal maybe. I don't know. Oh, perfect. Um, <laughs> so for me, after the ice melts, I am uh, going to spend the afternoon watching CONCACAF world cup qualifying matches, U.S. plays Canada. Mexico plays Costa Rica. Uh, should be an exciting day of CONCACAF action. And for anybody who follows World Cup soccer, you understand uh, the the beauty of when things get CONCACAF-y. Uh, yes. So uh, I'm, lo- I'm looking for that, uh, for that today in my uh, afternoon soccer watching. Are we in the hacks right now? Is that where we are? We are. We are. We're, this is uh, round 10. Uh, <laughs> so we, we've got... Uh, you have five games left to, to qualify. So it's like an old school heavyweight title fight. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Round after round and you just hope to survive. Yeah. Oh, great. That sounds like a great day. Yeah. Should be good. Well, uh, fun as always to, to catch up and uh, record the pod again. Want to encourage those listening, uh, feel free to uh, tweet about us, post it on the internet, uh, share with your friends, leave us a five-star review Hit me up on Twitter at jbullockspeaks. Hit George up on Twitter at George underscore Hegarty. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you think. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, Go out, do good things in the world. Take a pause, take a sip. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode of Education on the Rocks. Thank you for listening to Education on the Rocks. You can connect with us on Twitter. George is at George underscore Hegarty. And I am at jbullockspeaks. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends and please give us a rating on iTunes and leave a comment. Until then, look for us next week as we continue to discuss education on the rocks.